Well, hey, thanks for being here today. Excited to have you guys. We're continuing our series called Tattered Covers. And, and we're going to look at a guy today that I, I feel like I relate to a lot. Uh, he happens to be the wisest guy who ever lives. I'm not saying that's why I feel like I relate to him, but maybe. But, but he happens to be the wisest guy who ever lives. And we find him in an interesting period of his life. We're going to look at a few different periods, but one specifically. He's, he's kind of nearing the end of his life. And he's thinking about the past. He's thinking about all the years he's lived, all the things he's done, the good, the bad. And he's writing a letter to his son. He wants his son to help avoid some of the same mistakes that he made. He wants to coach his son through life and help his son know how to live well. I mean, it's what we all want for our kids, right? I'm the parent of a four-year-old and a six-year-old. And I think ultimately my goal, kind of like Solomon, is to instill wisdom and to coach them through life. But if I was honest, I'm more in the stage of uh, survival is probably what I would call it. You know, just trying to make it through the day and keep everybody alive. And hopefully we all wake up the next morning. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. We're just trying to make it through each day. And, and for me, you know, my favorite time of the day now with a four-year-old and a six-year-old is bedtime, right? Favorite time of a parent. That's God's blessing to us. The problem is my kids don't feel the same way. You know, when I say it's bedtime, it's, they interpret that as time to die. And, and they start screaming and throwing a fit. We're kind of getting through that stage, which, which I'm grateful for. But the last few years, I mean, going to bed is like time to die. And so, you know, we go through our routines. We, we brush our teeth. You know, we, re, we read a little story. We pray. We talk a little bit. And then we get ready to say goodnight. So you know the story if you're a parent, right? You're in the room, you're praying, you wrap it up, your heart is like, oh, sanity is about to come my way. Some silence, some peace. And you go to close the door, you say goodnight, you know, goodnight, sweetie, whatever you're gonna say. And, and you know what's coming, dad. And you just pretend you don't hear, right? And you're gonna close the door. Uh, daddy, daddy, dad. She's like, he's gonna close the door on me. So, okay, what do you need, sweetie? Uh, you forgot to give me a kiss. All right, you know, so you go in, you do the kiss, and, and you're like, all right, finally. Finally is my chance to just be done with this and get some rest. And so you go to close the door again, and you know what's coming. Daddy, daddy! Uh, she's trying to think of another excuse why not to go to bed. Uh, I need to go potty. And you're like, I'm going to lose my mind. And uh, you're like, well, okay. I mean, I wish you would have done this before we tucked you in, but all right, I understand. You got to go, fine, just go. So she goes, at this point, I'm, I'm at the end of my rope, right? And so she gets back in bed and she'll go, uh, uh, daddy, daddy. Um, I'm like, sweetie, it's time for bed. Daddy, I just, I need some water. And at this point, you've lost your mind, right? You're, you're out of it. You have no ability to think rationally. And you just say things like, no, you will never drink water again. And she goes, but dad, daddy, if I don't drink water, I'll die. You're like, oh, oh yeah. Um, daddy lost his temper. He's sorry, but just go to sleep. <laughs> and you close the door and finally some peace. This is what parenting looks like in my life at the moment. And so we've been in this discussion, you know, do you have a third or not? We've been having this discussion for about four and a half years. <laughs> And I've been on the fence of uh, absolutely not. 
And she's like, well, I think so. And so we finally met in the middle on my side, which was, hey, let's not have another one. And, uh, you know, no more, di- no more diapers, no more sleepless nights. And I'm pretty excited about moving forward with our lives. A few months ago, she walks in the room and says, hey, so what's up? I'm pregnant. And as you would imagine, I have moved on from that stage in life. And so I did the mature thing and just didn't respond. Just put my head down and pouted like a five-year-old. And uh, you can imagine a wife who's wanting some comfort because she just found out she's pregnant, isn't really excited about my response at the moment. And so she says, the adult, she's trying to be the adult in the room and goes, well, you know, we got to talk about this. Do you have anything to say? And I mean, guys, you know, the best thing for me to say in that moment is nothing because I have nothing good to say. But she asks, and so I says, no, I got nothing to say. <laughs> wow, it got pretty awkward in the room. And um, we sit there for about five more minutes of silence. And again, she's trying to be the adult dealing with this toddler who can't deal with the situation. And uh, she goes, well, you know, we're gonna have to talk about this, right? And this is where things just really went downhill. I'm gonna make the rest of you guys look really good tonight with how bad I did. I said, well, yeah, we will, but maybe first, you know, you should take another test. And let's just hope the first one was wrong. Yeah, for real. (laughs) That's pretty much what happened. And uh, I'm still going to counseling. You know, I'm still sleeping on the couch. We're working through it. No, I'm just kidding. But we are having a baby boy in December. I'm on board fully. I'm excited. You know, I just, I had to deal with the the reality of, of what I was having to face. You know, now we're having to make the decision. That's what I want to talk to us a little bit about is decisions and how we make decisions. And now we're in this stage, we have to make the decisions that all families with with three plus kids have to make. And and I think ultimately it kind of defines the rest of your life. It's a pretty major decision, right? To minivan or not to minivan, that's the question. And, And I mean, there are some seriously strong opinions on this. I didn't know until I started talking to people. And I mean, when you talk to the minivan people, they're like, look at my minivan tattoo. You know, I'm minivan for life. They believe in minivans. Like, let me show you my minivan. It's dirty, but let me just show you the answer. Check out these doors and it's cool and this and that. And, and I get it. I'm like, yeah, you know, th- this is really convenient. This, is, this does make a lot of sense. It's economical. The kids can get in and out by themselves. Doors closed by themselves. This makes a lot of sense. The other camp is like, I'll never minivan and I'm going to SUV it, you know? And so I looked at the two options. I thought, okay, the SUV camp is like, look, functionality, economics are out the window, but I get to keep my dignity, you know? <laughs> and, and the other minivan camp's like, look, I, I get it. It's logical. It makes sense. You know, it's, it's the most family-friendly vehicle on the market, but you got to be willing to lose your dignity. And so you just got to make that decision. I'm making some serious enemies right now. This is like, you guys are staring me down. All you minivanners, I promise. We may end up with one. I'm not, I'm not distant. I'm just saying that's kind of how I view the situation. I was talking to a friend of mine. He said, hey, look, just, just do what you want, you know? Just do what you want. I'm sure you've been given that advice in life. Just, just do what you want, you know? Go with whatever you desire. And, you know, at first glance, I mean, that's not bad advice. And so I walked to the car lot and I thought, you know, what do I want? If I'm just going to make this decision based on what I want, I look around and I see a 2016 Yukon Denali. Wow. That's what I want. 
That is, wow, look at the leather and the two DVD screens and wow. And trust me, when I'm standing there, I really, really want this vehicle. And so I walk around, I look at this, the price tag, the sticker says $80,000. And I look at it and I go, wait a minute, I really want this. My desires are saying, buy this car. But then I think about it for a moment, I go, what do I really want? Because what I really want is to not be incredibly maxed out in my budget. I don't have a budget that can afford an $80,000 vehicle. What I, what I really want is not to be so stressed financially that, that we're dealing with stress and anxiety every day in life. What I really want is to not have to work extra hours and be away from my family to try to pay for this vehicle. See, what if, what if what you wanted in life was different from what you really wanted? See, this is the principle that Solomon wants to teach his son. Solomon is not saying this from a philosophical standpoint or an ideological standpoint. He's saying it from experience. He wants his son desperately to understand something that ruined his own life and really the life of his father and many before him. See, I'm just gonna give you an example in your own life to illustrate this principle. I believe it's a principle that can change all of our lives. It's changed mine. Let's just say I asked you today, hey, what is your favorite dessert? I'm guessing you'd come up with any different answer. I would say, okay, I'm gonna go find the best baker, the best dessert maker, whatever it is, and I'm gonna get you that dessert. I bring it to you and I put it in front of your face. I'm guessing if I say to you, do you want this? The answer is, well, yeah, it's my favorite dessert. I absolutely want it. But some of you, probably not me, but some of you would choose to forego eating that dessert. Well, why is that? If you want it, why would you choose to forego eating it? Well, because what I really want is to live a healthier lifestyle. You know, what I really want is to not flare up my diabetes. There may be a number of answers, but we tend to make decisions in life based on what? What we want. And this is what Solomon is afraid of for his son. Because Solomon lived most of his life making decisions based on what he wants. Now, what's so interesting about that statement with Solomon is that this wasn't your average guy. Solomon at age 19 was gonna become king of Israel. And God comes to him at age 19, a 19 year old, and God says to him, if I were to give you anything, you can ask me for anything, Solomon, what do you want? If I was 19 and God said, you can ask me for anything, I can't even imagine what I would have come up with. But Solomon says to God, he says, if I could get anything from you, God, what I want is wisdom and understanding. I, I want to do things your way, God. I want to rule your people well. And I want to be a great king that does the things that you want him to do. And so I ask for wisdom. And God is really impressed with his answer. He says, well, because you didn't ask me for fame, for fortune, for riches, women, I'm going to give you wisdom in abundance. Arguably, Solomon is the wisest man that's ever walked this earth. And that's what makes his story so mind-boggling to me. In Ecclesiastes, in the first chapter, we see Solomon wrestling with life. We see him in this place of going, life is meaningless. Life is empty. There is no happiness. There is no peace. I don't know why we're here. Matter of fact, we shouldn't even be here. Life isn't worth living. 
There's no satisfaction. There's no happiness. There's no joy. There's no peace. Most of Ecclesiastes is Solomon expressing those feelings. This is the wisest guy to ever walk on this earth other than Jesus. And he couldn't figure out how to be happy, how to be satisfied, how to find peace and hope and life and love and acceptance and joy. All the things we're looking for. So he says, you know what? I think I know how to find it. I think what I'm going to do, we pick this up in Ecclesiastes chapter two, is he says, I'm just going to do everything I want. I think if I just do what I want, which is the American way, right? Just do what you want and you're going to be happy. If I just give myself everything I desire, surely it's going to bring me satisfaction. It's going to bring me happiness and peace. So we see in Ecclesiastes chapter two, in verse one, he says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. He said, but that proved to be meaningless. So he goes on to explain in a little more detail what he's talking about. He says, what does pleasure accomplish? He says, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. You know, just drinking myself to happiness. I tried it. He says, and, you know, and then I, I, when I was drunk, I just did whatever I wanted. Now, maybe to you, that's not an appealing thought, but he said, hey, I'll just drink and that'll make me happy. I know many of us have had that thought. He says, okay, well, that didn't work. So he says, okay, I wanted to see what else was good. What else could make me happy? He says, so I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and plants of all kinds and planted fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs and water groves of flourishing trees. Let me just explain to you. He's basically equating to, to today cars and houses and flat screen TVs. He's saying all the great things of his time, all the things that people would desire, he, he got all of them. He also said, I took on great projects, right? So I became super successful. He thought, if I get a lot of people to look at me and go, wow, look what he's doing. Maybe that'll make me happy. Maybe that'll satisfy so he acquires all of these things of the world. He acquires all the best the world has to offer. He, he makes himself very successful. The world looks at him and goes, wow, that guy, man, he knows how to run business. He knows how to make money. Wow. So he had the accolades of all the world. Still is not happy. So he says, you know what I did then? I bought male and female slaves. Back in the day, if you had lots of slaves in that time, you were considered to be the greatest. So he had people serving him at, at beck and call. Anything he wanted, he had servants. And he, he goes on to say, and the, the slaves that I had, these servants I had, they had kids while they were with me. So I had more slaves. It's important that he says that because we realize this is a long period of time. This has been going on for a while. He's been living this life for quite a while. And then he goes, you know, so after that, I, I also, I owned more herds than anyone around me. That's a sign of status and wealth. And he says, I amassed more silver and gold for myself than any king or province ever had. And then he says, I, I went to the extreme. I, I hired myself, or excuse me, I acquired, I bought male and female singers. In that time, going to concerts was like of the utmost. People love going to concerts. I mean, today people love going to concerts. He's basically saying, I know a lot of you guys like going to see Justin Bieber, but I'm just going to buy Justin Bieber, you know? And he'll just live in my house. And whenever I want to hear his songs, he'll just sing for me. That sounds miserable to me, but, but whatever. I mean, you know. So he just, I mean, he's just going all out. That's what this scripture is trying to say. This guy went all out. Everything he wanted, he went after. He says, after that, that didn't satisfy. 
So I bought a harem. That's, that's basically just a huge, huge group, 700 or so wives, women, who he could just sleep with at any time. He thought, you know, if I just fulfill myself sexually, surely if I just satisfy my sexual cravings, I'll be happy. I'll be satisfied. Life will find its meaning and its purpose. He goes on to say, basically, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart looked at all that I had done. And when I surveyed all I had done with my hands and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Now, we can look at this passage and say, well, yeah, I mean, this guy, I mean, he was extreme, you know? I mean, that's a little extreme, all the things he did. But many of these themes, I mean, aren't these the things that we give our lives to? If I, if I, if I could just make a little bit more money, you know, I'll, I'll be happy. If we just get that car, or if we could just move into that house, or if I could just lose a few pounds, maybe more people would like me, or, or if I could just get this, if I could just do that, if I just got the promotion or the raise. And we spend our lives wanting, 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 hoping that something's gonna satisfy. Solomon, the wisest guy who ever lived, that was his journey for a long time. I mean, what is it? What is it that you're wanting that you think is gonna deliver on its promise? Where do you find those desires creeping up and in the heat of the moment you go, I just, I gotta do it, I, I want it, I need it. See, what we see here is not that the possessions were a problem. It was his desire for those things that became the problem. He gave his life over believing that if I just attain, if I can just get this stuff, if I could just get the promotion or, or get the deal, then everything's gonna be good. The elusive happiness is gonna find me. Peace and satisfaction are gonna come my way. But what happened? None of those desires, none of those wants, they, they didn't deliver on their promise. And he found himself, we find out in Ecclesiastes a little further, he found himself in a deep depression. I mean, he's disillusioned with life and he doesn't even know if he wants to live anymore. You know, I see a scripture in the New Testament that kind of reiterates this idea and this point. It's found in 1 John. It's John speaking to a group of believers, Christians. It's 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. He says, don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's good because the love of the world squeezes out the love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, it has nothing to do with the Father. He says it just isolates you from Him. He says the world and all of its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what the Father wants is set for eternity. I love the way John describes this. See, a lot of us, we've read this verse and in other versions it, it translates, it says, you know, do not love the world. And this isn't an idea of, hey, you shouldn't enjoy things in the world. I love the way the message explains this. He says, you guys, it's the attitude and the outlook that you're absorbing in the world that's the problem. He says, what does the world do? What does the world think? All the things around you, what do they tell you? They tell you 
that wanting your own way is what's best for you. That wanting everything for yourself is what's best for you. That wanting to appear important, that's what's gonna make you happy. And what I love is he says, where do those things lead you? He says, wanting, 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 wanting. He says, the promises that these things offer you, they, they can't deliver on the promise. And I gotta tell you guys, I read this and I just go, man, I find myself running this circle so many times. And you know what? It's exhausting. I think if you just stop for a moment, isn't your chasing and your pursuit of wanting, isn't it exhausting? You know, it's like that, it's like that, that vehicle, had I bought that, I would have had to keep up with that, right? I would have had to extend myself abundantly to make that work. And you know what, at some point I would have gone, oh man, this is a 16, it's 2024. I hate this car. I want another one. Does that mean the vehicle's a bad thing? No, it's the idea that these things cannot give us what we're looking for. This wanting, 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 it will never end if you see the world and the things of the world through the lenses of the world. And I love what he says here. He says, but whoever does what God wants to set for eternity. And that's ultimately what Solomon wants to teach his son. And it's what I hope, the principle I hope that all of us could take away from today. And I believe it'll be life-changing. But I wanna stop for just a minute before we, we jump back into Solomon. And I just, I just wanna say something that as I read this passage, when I was studying this passage, it, it just really jumped out to me. I think all of us know that our country and our world is in a pretty difficult place. You know, I, I love like the app on my phone, you know, the Apple news, and I'm always clicking on the news. I love seeing what's new, what's going on. And I feel like these days I can't even get on the news without being completely inundated with the brokenness of humanity between the political environment we have, between the race, racial tension that we're dealing with. Man, our world is broken. And I'm, I'm not saying that I don't believe in our political systems. I absolutely do. I'm a voter. I believe in those things. But those aren't our answer. You know, we put our hope in a certain political party or a certain set of ideas. And we think if, if that just, same idea, if that just goes right, then everything's going to be good. But you know what the problem is? It's what John says here. We're a bunch of people living on earth wanting our own way, right? We want everybody to see things from our perspective because what I think is probably what you should think. Matter of fact, it is what you should think. My way is right, your way is wrong. I just want you to see things from my perspective because then things would work out great. I mean, isn't that what we have going on in our world right now? Wanting our own way. And John says, man, whew, that's not gonna work, guys. That's just gonna leave you wanting, wanting, wanting. He says, look, you, you wanna experience the answer. It's saying, let's, let's live our lives to promote what God wants rather than what we want. He says, what about if, if we spent our time, instead of talking about you know, all the things that we think are right, thinking about our ways and how we would want to live life and how we think other people should see. How about we just start focusing on what God wants? How about we start seeing people the way God sees people? Man, I think that would radically change our world.
It's not that we don't vote, that we don't get involved in, in our world. We absolutely do. That's our job. But how about we start spending our time talking more about what God wants than what we want? Because Jesus is the answer. God is our only hope. Our hope isn't found in the answers of our, our world's leaders. That was just a side note that I wanted to share with you because I really think that this goes so well with where we're at. We want our own way. We want everyone to do things the way we want to do things. Ultimately, when he says at the end here, John says, but whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. Ultimately, that's what Solomon is trying to teach his son. Now, I want to take you back before I read this last verse and we talk about what Solomon ultimately, the advice Solomon ultimately gives his son. I want to take you back for a minute and just think about this for a moment. Solomon is late in life. His rule as king is coming to an end. He knows his time on earth is coming short. And he knows that his son is going to take over as king. You can imagine if you're a parent, again, he's sitting there thinking about, wow, what a life. Boy, all the things that I did, we just read about a little bit of it. All the things that I did, all the life that I lived. And man, half of it, maybe more was just wasted. I don't want my son to do the same thing I did. You can imagine him in his old age, he's writing this book, book of Proverbs to his son. To ultimately to all of us, it's the, the greatest book of wisdom that exists in the world. And he's sitting down with his pen. You can imagine him writing, thinking about his son. And he says this in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's a verse we've all heard. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Now we've heard that, but let's think about this for a minute. What is Solomon saying here? He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Solomon's thinking about all the years that he leaned on his own understanding, believing that if he just gave in to these desires, believing that if he just had his way, believing that if he just got what he wanted, that life would work out, that things would be good, that peace would find him, that he'd experience happiness and joy and satisfaction. And he's remembering back to this time going, oh man, what a wasted life. I spun my wheels. I gave my heart to all these things that never satisfied. He's saying to his son, what you think is right is not always right, son. Your desires, your emotions, while they feel so real in the moment, and in the heat of the moment, we want to make the decision to do the thing that maybe we know we shouldn't do, but we really want to do. He's saying, don't give in. Don't lean on your own understanding. And he knows, and I love that he says this, he knows how hard that is. He knows how hard it is to not trust your gut. He knows how hard it is to not do what you want to do. He's been there. And that's why he says to his son, you got to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Because in the heat of the moment, when you're trying to make decisions in life and your gut and your heart is saying, I really want this, I really want this, I really want this. He's saying, that's a real feeling. And I acknowledge that. That's going to be tough. You're going to want to look at this computer screen and go, I think if I just look at this and get sexual gratification, it's going to make me happy. But he said, man, I'm telling you, it's lying to you. You're going to have to really trust God because in that moment, you're going to want to give in. 
But take it from me, son, that leads to destruction. You know, when you have an opportunity, you're sitting there and you're doing your taxes. And if I just change these few numbers, it's gonna save me thousands of dollars on taxes. That's, that's your own understanding. Yeah, it might feel good in the moment, but trust me, it's not gonna work. Whatever it is your desires are leading you towards, you say, I know it's gonna be hard because our emotions feel so real, don't they? It's amazing how much my mind can convince me how much my thinking can convince me that something's gonna work, that something's gonna make me happy. And Solomon's trying to teach his son, don't give in because what you think you want, it isn't what you really want. And here's the principle that Solomon is teaching his son and I want you to hear today. It's a principle that's changed my life and it's a work in progress every day. But he says to his son, lean not on your understanding and all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. What is he saying there? He's saying, you know what? You may not realize it. It may not be what you're currently wanting, but what you really want in life is what God wants. Think about that for a moment. He's saying it's gonna go against the grain. It's gonna go against what you feel in the moment, but what you really want in life is what God wants. He says, submit all your ways to God's ways. You wanna find satisfaction in life? You wanna find peace and, and rest from your weariness? You wanna find hope and joy? He said, it will not be found in your own ways. The only way you're gonna find what you really want in life is by following his ways. Some of us are scared of that. I mean, what does that mean? What does that look like? What if I don't get the things that I want and I won't, I'm not gonna be happy? He says, don't worry, son. I've lived this life long enough. What you really want in life is what God wants. What if, what if that's the question we started asking in life? What if in the heat of the moment or, or in those moments of intense desire and want, we go, you know what, man, I feel this so bad. And in my own mind, this sounds good. It makes sense, but God, what do you want? Are we even asking that question? I look at this passage and I go, man, I don't want to live a life where I was chasing the wind. The things I was going after actually had no purpose, no meaning, no value. And in those, those moments where I'm overwhelmed with, with emotion and desire and I want to make a decision based on what I want, can I, can I step back and trust God and say, but what I really want is what God wants. If you're here today and you're going, I'm trying to figure out how to be happy. I'm trying to figure out how to be satisfied in life. The only way you're going to get there is by figuring out what God wants and following that plan. I want to encourage you, you know, as we, we close with this, this principle of what you really want is what God wants. I think sometimes we get in this mode, and I've done this myself, of thinking, you know, oh, you know, pr you know praying every day and reading your Bible every day. And, you know, that kind of feels like religion and, and rules, and that's kind of legalistic. But I read a statistic the other day that said we spend seven hours a day intaking media, social media, television, news, seven hours a day of inundation. How are we gonna know what God wants if we're not spending time trying to get to know what God wants? And I wanna encourage you guys today that one of the greatest gifts God has given us is when we, when we come to know Jesus, our eternity is secure in him, 
and his spirit comes to live in us. And he gives you the ability to live a life of what God wants. And I wanna encourage you that when you're, when you're facing a moment of, you know, I don't know what to do here and I really wanna do this and in my own mind, it makes sense. Would you stop for a minute and just go, okay, I'm gonna spend a few minutes just praying. God, God what, do, what do you want? What do you want here? Because my emotions are raging. My desire is raging. And what I really want is, is this, but what, what do you want? And then spending some time each day, and I'd encourage you to start with Proverbs. There's 31 books. It's perfect for a month. Just spend 15 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, just reading God's word. And if it's hard for you to read the Bible, I would encourage you, why don't you find a devotional that, that gets a topic for you? And it tells you a little bit about uh, how God feels about a topic. And then it supports that with scriptures and verses. It is so important, you guys, that we find a way to fill our hearts and our minds with what God wants sometimes. And the last thing Solomon, he tells his son over and over and over, and we have e-groups here in the church to help support this, but he tells him over and over and over again, he says, you, you can't make these decisions alone. You need other people in your life who are trying to figure out what God wants. You need wise counsel. I wanna encourage you guys, I think that so much of life is spent wanting, wanting, wanting. And it's exhausting and it's tiring. And Solomon says, let me save you a lot of sweat and tears and pain. I'll tell you what you want. What you really want is what God wants. That's gonna bring you what you're looking for. Let's pray together. Jesus, this life can be so overwhelming. It feels like we're constantly searching, we're looking, we're, we're trying to find happiness or acceptance or peace or love. Sometimes it feels like a never ending journey. I know there are people here today that they have spun their wheels wanting, wanting, wanting. And I know the exhaustion of that lifestyle, I've been there. And I just pray that somehow supernaturally, Lord Jesus, that you would come in and begin to change our desires, begin to help us see what life really is when we live it your way. Scripture says when we delight ourselves in the Lord, he gives us the desires of our heart. He actually implants desires into our heart. Jesus, I pray for all of us here that are weary and tired and exhausted of trying to find whatever it is we're looking for. That we would see, maybe for the first time or maybe we're just being reminded, but we would see Jesus, who is our satisfaction, who is our life, who is our hope, who is our joy. Lord, I pray that in the moments where our desires creep in and we're overwhelmed and we're tempted to just give in to whatever it is we want, that your spirit that lives within us, Jesus, would rise up and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not what you really want. That's not what you really want. Let's just take a moment. I'm guessing every one of us in here to some degree, we, we struggle with this.
why don't you just think for a moment, what are the things, what are the little desires that you find yourself being susceptible to? What are the things that you find yourself wanting and wanting over and over again? Maybe it's money or success or acceptance or maybe it's possessions. Maybe it's just your own way. You just want your own way. What is it? And Jesus, while we have those things in our mind, would you just reveal to all of us the truth? The truth of those things that they will never deliver. They will never bring us what we're looking for because what we're looking for is you. Lord, would you fill those voids in our heart? Would you fill those holes that we're trying to fill? What we want is what you want, Jesus. Help us to live it. Help us to experience it. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand again for a moment.